Welcome to I Love My HBCU Question Mark, the podcast where we express our undeniable love for HBCUs, but where we are also not afraid to address a few tough questions. So, sit back, learn a little, love a lot, and rep your HBCU. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of I Love My HBCU Question Mark. I'm Tosin Richard. And for those of you who are watching and not just listening, I have a, an amazing student from Alabama A&M University, Colin Malone. Colin, say hello. Hello, everyone. How y'all doing? <laughs> I think they're fine. Yeah, I think they're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> has the most... So, I... Some people listening are going to understand exactly what I mean when I say this. A lot of men or black men specifically, at least when I see them, they don't freely smile. Colin and I have been talking for a little bit this morning before I before we started recording this episode. And he's already cheesing. He's got, he's got the best, most light up your life smile. And it's it's going to keep me like, you do not know the day I have had so far. It is going to literally keep me enjoying this episode for the entire time that we're on. So Colin, I appreciate you for making the time and I appreciate you for being here on this episode with me, okay? Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Colin, you are a marketing major at yes. Alabama A&M. You are also, are you a former athlete now? Are you a former student athlete? Or yes, I am a former student athlete. My first two years, a year and a half, two years is when I played football for Alabama A&M. Okay, position, titles, give 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 us all of it. Yeah. Give us all of it. <laughs> I played I played a uh, running back, and uh, yeah, that's uh, I played special teams. Um, so I did a a lot of that moved around in special teams, but um, my main position was running back. Yes, so I love the way you're just shrugging it off. Uh, yeah, you know, I played running back. Yeah, you, yeah. you championships. When yeah. you were with them. Tell us about what championships did you win at Alabama A&M and okay. why football? What did you love the most about being on the team? Give us a little bit about that. Okay. All right. Um, well, I've been playing football since I was four. I stopped playing when I was 20. I'm 21. So just around this time last year is the time I started, stopped playing. Um, and so um, just a few things I loved about it. Um, the game, the actual game days, everything leading up to the games, specifically the home games were the most fun. Obviously, you like to travel to the away games and see different cities and everything, but just the the, the love that the players felt just from the school, um, the fans, the city of Huntsville, it was just uh, amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And homecomings, whew, homecomings, it's like you're playing in a in an NFL <laughs> arena. It's like the Super Bowl. It's like our Super Bowl, you know what I mean? And so that would be the main thing that I miss the most, the games. Don't miss practice at all. Especially in <laughs> yeah, you know, you got you to gotta get better, but, you know, um, I bet any one of those guys uh, can tell you uh, practice um, and, and the discipline aspect, uh, running every day after practice. After our, we've already ran around for two hours, it's just it's just a little. Yeah, I was definitely in the best shape of my life uh, when I got, <laughs> when I got here. And uh, 
because yeah, it was just uh practice wasn't that fun. So, so um, my my apologies. I didn't mean to cut. I didn't mean to to, oh, to interrupt. So I I know that you had um, and I think you still have a relationship with the Houston Rockets. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I want to link football you as a student athlete to the Houston Rockets, even though I know that's basketball. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell me if you don't mind. I I personally feel that student athletes are probably some of the best interns you'll ever have anywhere. And I can give my reason why, but this show is not about me. It's about you. This episode is about you right now. Tell me what, tell me what characteristics you developed as a student athlete that made you an amazing intern for the Houston Rockets. Okay. Um, I would say first discipline. Uh, I talked a little bit about that um, with football. One person can do something wrong, but everybody's going to suffer from it. Hmm. And so just like in the game, you know, if somebody jumps off sides, the whole team has to back up. So um, just with that discipline, um, definitely um, leadership. Um, I wasn't the biggest rah-rah guy. But I, I, I could rally the people that were closest to me or maybe in my position, the guys I spent the most time with, and which is the same in the office. So in the setting of the Houston Rockets being in the front office, um, rallying the people that were around me, they know I'm going to give 110% every day. They know I'm going to bring my best effort. And they, and they love that in me because that's they did love that in me because I was young, um, didn't really know exactly what I'm stepping into. You think you have a good idea. But um, that's just like with my manager, he mentioned like, what area of marketing do you work in, want to work in? And I'm like, I just want to work in marketing, you know, kind of naive, not really knowing, you know. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to show you all the areas of marketing that we have people working and then you'll have a better idea of exactly what you want to do. Right. And so um, it, 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 it just helped because I was open to everything. So I was just open. Uh, I was honest. Um, just showing my leadership skills and they put me in the positions that allowed me to spread my wings and fly. And, and, and I'll give a few things of what I did. So I worked with some of the people in event strategy for the draft party that we held at post Houston. And so um, with that, I was able to see how things are set up and why this is where this is and why we have to have this and why we can't do this and the laws and, all that type of stuff behind it. Another thing, um, probably my biggest leadership um, role that I was in while I was there with the Houston Rockets was um, 713 Day. So 713 Day is an unofficial holiday in Houston, and it is the oldest area code in Houston. And so we did seven locations around the city of Houston, and we had an NBA legend at each location that played for the Houston Rockets in the past. And we invited up to 35 to 70 kids with the relationship and partnership with Houston Parks and Recreation. So allowing to give back to kids, um, we gave them, I, I personally pumped up 400 basketballs to give to every kid. Every single our, basketball, every, every single, single one. Every single basketball that a kid touched, I pumped up myself. And so, you know, some people are going to be like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Like, you know, but from a positive perspective, every kid left away happy that day because of the work I had put in prior to that. And that's all that meant 
that's that meant everything to me. And so the community engagement aspect is definitely something that I I, I fell in love with. And so just knowing that, um, you know, some people be like, I couldn't do that. But that's what I was saying in the beginning, too. I'll be honest. I was like, man, how am I going to get this done? But just the effect I know that it had, um, because I was a point of contact at one of the locations that we had. And so I had to account for all the kids, uh, make sure they get the T-shirts, making sure they're going to the right place and everybody's, you know, have everything going good for themselves. And, you know, so just accommodating for all those kids, it really did touch my heart. And just knowing that I played a role in that, it it meant the world to me. So Colin, (laughs) again, anyone who's watching this and not just listening to it, I'm cheesing so hard. And the reason why I'm cheesing so hard is to hear somebody describe, um, can we be honest for two seconds? Sometimes when I hear students describe their internships, it's very lackluster. They don't have this, and you've you've just described pumping up 400 um, basketballs by yourself, but what you've done is connect it to a value that the student is going to walk away with. So you didn't just pump up 400 basketballs. Mm -hmm. No, you made sure that you created an experience and a feeling for each and every one of the um, students or or kids that came to pick up a basketball. Mm -hmm. And the manner in which you've described that, I know that whoever you end up, wherever you end up being in your field of marketing or wherever is going to love that that's the approach that you are taking. And I wish more students, so students, if you're listening, I wish more students will connect the dots from this mundane thing that I'm doing, right? Mm -hmm. And realizing that no matter how mundane that thing might look to you, it is truly an important part of the bigger picture. And without you or somebody fulfilling that role there, that big picture doesn't get fulfilled. So thanks for sharing it in the way that you did share it. I I really, really appreciate that. I do, I do. It's important that I got that out of that because your experience could very well be deterred uh, just by an experience like that because you have the wrong perspective of things. I saw how happy those kids were to know that they could keep those basketballs. I saw how happy those kids were when they got those 713 day t-shirts. I saw how happy those kids were when they got to meet an NBA legend and he's actually working with them one-on-one running a basketball clinic. So all of those, all of those types of things I was able to witness and they're going to carry with me for the rest of my life. But I I don't think that's the biggest thing that I did. So I will shift gears into something else. Let's hear it. What's the biggest thing that you did? Let's hear it. My big project that I was announced um, to do or or prompted to do was create a marketing plan for the first ever NBA team's youth council. And so with research, we found that the age groups 14 to 17 is the age group that we missed out on the most Hmm. in terms of marketing too. So you have the youth camps where you touch the younger kids that are younger than 14 Mm -hmm. and typically older than 17 are a lot of the NBA fans that come to games. Right. Mm -hmm. And so with that, we wanted to create something where we could fulfill that, you know, that void in which we found in our research. And so I was 
tasked to create this marketing plan and it's already been made. It, it, we're just waiting for it to be um, acted out upon and uh, implemented. But I did present that to the higher ups of the company. And so within that, I'll just talk about that for a little bit. So the age groups 14 to 17. So some of the prestigious things that they'll be able to do or get is allow themselves to and their families to come to games. Um, we have a theme night called Kids Kids Day. They could be able to come to the games and, you know, be announced at the games. And, you mm -hmm. know, at that age mm -hmm. group, you know, being at the center court and being announced and having your name be recognized. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel good, it's, especially at that age, because you, you don't have a lot of things to show for at that age. But that is something that you can tell. So we want to build a college, uh, build their resumes up, um, college prep. We would like to have uh, essay writing uh, classes to help with that SAT prep. Um, but the, the thing that they'll be providing for us is the just feedback on um, products or services and retail. So, and how things can be a bit better for, yes. a, it sounds like a, a user experience, but at that age group, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so with that, they're, they're old enough to have concrete insight, you know, but not, but, but not young enough to where it doesn't matter. You know, Got you to. know what I mean? Like yeah, they're old enough absolutely. to where they can tell where, you know, what they would like to see or what other people would like to see. Colin, and do so you know what I can tell? I can tell that if I allowed us, <laughs> we are going to talk about your passion for the task and the project that you worked on in marketing for the Houston Rockets for literally an entire day. Oh. And it tells us that you are going to be um, an integral part of somebody's executive team. But I also want us to hear a few more things from you. I want us to get into that lovely band on your ring, on one of, sorry, on one of your fingers. I want <laughs> us to get to that. So yes. with your permission, I'm going to shift gears ever so slightly, okay? Um, I want to welcome you to this beautiful rapid fire set of questions that we have. Okay, I'm, I'm going to put 67 seconds on the clock and I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, answer them as briefly or quickly as you can, because I want to get as many of them in as possible. Okay. Um, and the time starts at the end of my first question. You ready? All right. Shout out your favorite professor. Dr. Cooper. Dr. Cooper. What does Dr. Cooper teach? Marketing. She's a marketing professor. Duh, Tosin, marketing. <laughs> uh, how would your college roommate describe you in one word? Organized. Organized. I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, uh, homecoming is it for alumni or students? It's more so for alumni. It's for I like it. I like it. I like it. I'm getting more alumni than students. You sighed. You didn't like that. You're like, ah, oh, it's more so for alumni. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're at your college graduation. Who do you want as the commencement speaker? That is a good one. Who would I want as the commencement speaker? Barack Obama. Barack Obama. Okay, Barack Obama, you listening? Colin Malone has invited you as his commencement speaker. What year are you graduating? I'll be graduating in December of this year. 
December of this year, Barack Obama, <laughs> do him the honor of being his commencement speaker. That would be amazing. Please, that would be absolutely please. amazing. He's like, please, please. Ooh, would you rather spend an hour with your celebrity crush, sorry, your celebrity crush or your university president? University president. I have already found my lifelong crush. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Somebody, somebody, somebody taught you well. It's like I've already found my lifelong crush. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm getting to that because I want to hear this. But before I get to that, I do want to hear the story of how did you get to Alabama A&M? You're from Texas. You were born and raised in Texas. Mm -hmm. There are a number of HBCUs and universities, period, in Texas. So what is Colin Malone's story of how he selected this particular university and um, and is attending Alabama A&M? All right. Um, well, I'll start. I was originally born in Dallas, Texas. Um, when I was six months old, my family and I, we moved to right outside of Houston, Texas, which is spring, not a spring, Texas. So it's a suburb of Houston. And so up until my second semester of my sophomore year in high school, it's which we then moved to Madison, Alabama, which is okay. right outside of Huntsville. It's a suburb of Huntsville. And I... Well, my family and I, we moved here because my dad was actually working at Alabama A&M for the extension with also known as agriculture. Um, he was a director of one of the buildings there. And so now that he is no longer there, uh, for the time that he was there, I graduated high school in 2020. And we all know that was COVID and everything. And so Alabama A&M not only offered me the most money, but they also um, allowed me to play football as well. And I was staying closer to home because the world, we had never seen a world like this. And I didn't want to go too far away from home. I'll be honest. <laughs> so <laughs> so that kind of sparked um, me going to Alabama A&M. Now, being from the Houston area, <laughs> my love for HBCU started with Prairie View A&M. Mm -hmm very deep ties with Prairie View. And I say that because my grandfather has been a professor at Prairie View for over 40 years now. Wow. And not to mention my aunts and uncles, my own father graduated from Prairie View A&M. So mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time on that campus as a kid. Absolutely. Um, they perhaps might've been my first choice had it not been for COVID, but I love my HBCU. I love my HBCU. <laughs> I like that all the options on the table for you were HBCUs. That mm -hmm. that's that's very that's beautiful to hear. That is yeah. actually beautiful. Not not that any of the others would not have been great choices for you as well, but I kind of do like that in your story because that that's something I'm going to walk away with in my head is in Colin's story it's only HBCUs that were options on the table for you. And it, it, it speaks to the variety of choices that HBCUs actually have for any student that is interested in attending. I know I wanted to come to the love story. What's her name? Her name is Lauren Sisk. It will soon be Lauren Malone. Will soon be Lauren Malone. 
you are 21. I'm 21. She's 22. She's 22. You're 21. Young love. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You, you met her where? I met her. I was actually working an internship. So this was in the summer of 2021. Okay. I was 19 years old. She was 20. Yes. And so I was working for this nonprofit organization called the Legacy Center, located yes. here in Huntsville, Alabama, that also does a lot of community outreach. And it has a program, a summer program for kids and also a program for um, elderly people who suffer from Alzheimer's and dementia. And so it's kind of, you know, like a, like a care center almost in that way. But Absolutely. Um, specifically during the summertime, um, I was the assistant of the executive director. And so I majority worked in the front office. Okay. And she was hired on to be a summer program teacher. And so um, I was already working there two weeks prior to when she was, because I got there a little bit before the summer program kicked off. Mm -hmm. And so her mother actually works there. So me, her mother and I, became like this. We came okay. very close. Tight friends. Nice. Very, very close. So um, she was actually seeing someone else at the time. And so once I heard, you know, that, but I'll back up a little bit more. I got in, you know, her and her mom just, her mom and I just had a great relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so um, actually it was, it was something that, you know, it was just clean, you know, it wasn't anything like I want you to give up my daughter, nothing that type of deal. And then uh, when Lauren, my wife, started working there, I saw her and it was just like she had this glow on her. You know what I mean? But I, at the time, I did not know that that was Miss Evelyn, her mom's daughter. And so, you know, I, I introduced myself, you know, and all that type of business. And she was just teaching in the class. But, you know, obviously, I wanted to interact with the kids and everything and and so it, it kind of kicked off from there. Okay. Um, How did she, you know she was the one? I knew when she was the one, when she actually felt like a safe space for me. I feel like I hadn't had that prior to any other woman, maybe except for my mother. Hmm. And so, you know, when men, we often try to find our mothers and, and and different areas, but some areas of, of what we like, because that's the first woman that a lot of us know and that we fall in love with uh, from the beginning. And so uh, it felt like a mother's love. I felt like I could speak with her about anything. anything. I, felt like, I felt like I could, uh, you know, unfold anything that I, I hadn't unfolded with anybody else previously from the beginning. She's just a soft spoken person, soft soul. And, and she allowed me to, uh, just be to be you, you. Yeah, to be you like me to to be to be me she wasn't judgmental of me you know she loves me for who i am and mm -hmm. i love her for exactly that who she is i i i don't know how many 21 year olds would be open i'm a total stranger to you <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how many 21 year olds in college um, would be open to being vulnerable about a subject like this. So I appreciate you for sharing that. And I, I hope our young gentlemen 
who are interested or our young people who are interested in finding a mate or being aligned with a mate, especially while you're still in college, that um, it's okay to be a little soft in the best of ways. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to find somebody who appreciates that and not somebody who's trying to make you into something other than who you are. Is Lorna at an HBCU or was she at an HBCU? No, she she is not. She has not attended an HBCU. Okay. But one thing. I um, wanted this to be an HBCU love story. That's why I was pushing yeah. that so hard. <laughs> now, so I hard. I was in school at Alabama A&M, you know, yeah. at the time. And uh, I was actually playing football at the time. So yeah. we, we, we got the chance to spend a lot of time during the yeah. summer when yeah. we first met. Yeah. But as for when the fall came, but you know, I, I got a little more busy and everything. I, I'll speak a little bit about her and what she does. Um, so she actually, while I was working this internship this summer, she was actually in Africa. So she was in Kenya. So mm-hmm. she is a worship leader here in Huntsville. Okay. She has a big church background and she has been a worship leader since early when she was like seven years old okay not necessarily leading but in the church in worship yes yes Mm -hmm. in worship and so over in africa and kenya she was doing a lot of ministry work and so she works with a young group of girls who might have been raped or anything by their own family Mm -hmm. or even you know strangers and now they're pregnant and so now she works in a group that uplifts them and allows them to see God for themselves and allow them to worship and still believe that everything is going to be okay, even when all the odds are against them. That's commendable. That's yes. commendable. That's so, commendable. So it's, it's, it's very, it's very heavy, you know, for her at times. And another yeah. group that she works with um, feeds a lot of the, the children over in mm-hmm. Africa. It's mm-hmm. a group called the Regraced Project. Okay. And so with that, um, a lot of them, do face um, scarcity of food. Mm-hmm. And so they provide a space where they can come and eat. And also they have mothers there that they help them with their business and generate mm-hmm. money by making earrings, selling earrings and everything from that are made in Africa. And Kenya. I can tell that you're ridiculously proud of your, yes. your wife and um, the things that she's doing. And I, I wish for everyone to find a mate that wants to shine a light on their partner as much as you do. I think that is beautiful. I do have a couple more HBCU discussions for us to get into, okay? (laughs) And um, so even though Lorna um, did not uh, attend an HBCU, because listen, this is, I love my HBCU question mark after all, and I'm going to plug that as much as possible. When when the babies start coming, the, 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 my hope is that those will be the first choices for you, for the two of you, is that they will be looking at HBCUs as their options for yes. college at some point in time. So we're going to reel her in to the HBCU world literally at all costs. Yeah, but, she's already reeled in. She doesn't oh, have- I love it. She doesn't have a choice. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, do you believe, Colin, that um, HBCUs... No, no. (laughs) This is what I've been told. Okay. I was a a, a college athlete. I ran track and I'm, I tell, no, please don't do the, mm, I wasn't good. 
I wasn't good. And I remind people consistently that I wasn't so good. I, I was Don't not. Do that. Colin, can I be honest about myself? I wasn't good. <laughs> but but I, 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 I love sports. I love sports. Mm -hmm. I support the sports and I especially support student athletes. But when I'm talking athletics with different groups of people, be you at an HBCU or not, I hear the sentiment quite often, actually, mm -hmm. that if you want to go into professional sports, and I know that's not you anymore. I know you are going into marketing. It might be aligned with sports marketing, but you're going into marketing. But I hear from a lot of people that if you are going if you're desiring rather to go into professional sports as a student, do not go to an HBCU because your chances of being selected are lower. And sadly, the numbers support that statistic to a large degree. What are your thoughts on that? Is, is, is it then that those who are athletes or student athletes who go to HBCUs are not making the best choices for themselves by not going elsewhere. What are your thoughts on that? I think we don't receive the amount of exposure that a lot of the other schools get. Now, a lot of HBCUs are still Division One football. Alabama A&M is Division One football. Right? Of course. And so um, with that being said, I believe that at PWIs, even on the Division Two level, they still might they get, still more, get exposure. more exposure. And so, and so with that, um, it's it's a bit unfair. Um, I have to commend Deion Sanders for the opportunity. Absolutely, at Jackson State, bringing more exposure with the HBCU Combine and everything, allowing HBCU athletes to be recognized for what they do on the field. Absolutely, as well. absolutely. And we have a lot of NFL Hall of Famers, very big names, a lot of top five position players that came from HBCUs. Yes. Jerry Rice, Mississippi uh, Valley. We have uh, Walter Payton, Jackson State. We have Michael Strahan, Texas Southern. Those are top five, top 10 NFL players that were recognized a long time ago. So you don't we don't think that a lot of players can get that opportunity to play in the NFL. I'm not saying that everybody can be as good as they are, but with the opportunity, you never know. And yeah. so I think all we need is a fair shake and a fair chance just to show what a lot of people can do because we are under the radar. We are under the radar, not only for sports, but academically as well. Some people look at the degree and say it came from an HBCU, so it's not as equivalent as a PWI, which is absolutely not true. Absolutely incorrect. Absolutely not true. Absolutely not true. And so I think just with the exposure just needs to be um, a little bit more recognized just from the world in general. But I feel like it's a good push on that. I do feel like that's a good, it, there's been a good initiative to do that because a lot of people have realized that, okay, a lot of students are at these HBCUs. A lot of students are getting great education. A lot of HBCU graduates are doing a lot of great things for a lot of major companies. And so with that, you have to recognize it because then you look up and say, where, well, where? Why haven't we been doing this? And these wonderful people are coming from these amazing 
predominantly black institutions. And so um, it, it's, it's, it's time we get a little bit more respect in that way. Colin, you, gosh, I hope it's appropriate for me to say I love you. I absolutely love you. <laughs> You have, um, and Colin has disappeared. He's getting his 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 chai latte, not not yeah, not the no, water. No, I'm, I'm I'm just plugging up my charges just real quick. Yeah, because we don't want you to die on us. Oh, uh, no, we don't no, want no, your no. connection to die to on either. us. No, we're back. I love I love everything you just said um, because you have in one interview or one conversation highlighted the importance of I love my HBCU question mark uh, not to be so self-serving but I, I get the question often enough why is the question mark on there and the question mark is rhetorical I say that all the time that why aren't we getting more exposure mm -hmm. why is there this double standard uh, with regards to the types of um, um, credibility given to one area over another, depending on where you got your college degree. Mm -hmm. um, and there's something else you said that my heart was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, um, um, he couldn't be more right. And, and that is, we don't know them. Mm -hmm. We don't know a Colin Malone from Alabama A&M because he's not getting the exposure. We don't know the several alumni who have come from HBCUs because the reality is, I don't know if you've been in a room with a Harvard grad. Have you been in a room with a Harvard University grad? Mm -hmm. <sighs> I don't think so. I wish the experience upon you, and here's why. And this is this is a commendation to Harvard University graduates. I may not even know their names, but I'm going to know they went to Harvard University because one way or another, they find a way to interplay it into the conversation. So that's my challenge to you, Colin, and everybody else who is hearing the sound of my voice. Find a way to interplay the mentioning of the name of your university, your HBCU in so many conversations that you have, because we're not going to always get the external exposure. Right. We have to keep on shining the light ourselves on the exposure that we know we deserve. So that, that hit me hard, like, wait, Colin doesn't even know this, but that's why, that's why I, I, I decided to put this together. Right. And I, I'll speak a little bit to that because when I did stop playing football, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. Hmm. Not knowing that I would step into the NBA HBCU fellowship program. I love that it. had over 5,000 applicants, but only selected 74. Look at you, one lucky, of the 74. Blessed, and blessed enough to be one of those who uh, are part of the program. I did not know I would be able to step into that. And along with that, I didn't know I would take on the responsibility of becoming someone that would be representing my HBCU in a positive light in such that way, you know, with prestigious career, uh, a career achievement, you know, um, with that, with that um, internship or fellowship, I'll say, um, that, that's something I'll carry with me the rest of my life. I've had people tell me, um, how quick, how did, how, how did you do it? Um, you just stopped playing football. Um, how did you turn around and start doing such positive things? Um, 
But for that, I, I, I had to find out exactly who I was. I was um, stripped of the title of a mm-hmm. collegiate athlete at that point. Yeah. Um, for a moment in my life, I, that's one of the- That was your identity. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the number one things that I wanted that I wanted for myself, uh, be a college football player, then go on to the pros. And then once that changed, mm. I had to change with that. Mm-hmm. So now in my simple introductions of telling people about myself, I had to stop mentioning that. And that completely blew my mind because I didn't understand like this was going to be over someday until it was. Yeah. And yeah. so um, with that, and the reason why I say that is just because I didn't know I was taking on the role of representing uh, my HBCU, not, not only mine, but all of them in general, because, uh, you know, just some people would just throw them all in the same bowl and just think, you know, uh, well, he went to an HBCU, um, you know, and that, that's a whole nother story of, <laughs> of, 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 of people feeling tokenized mm-hmm. uh, by being an HBCU grad. Because people really don't understand um, the history, the meaning, the depth behind it. That's why we're here, Colin. And as since you brought it up, what does HBCU legacy mean to you? Black excellence. It is black history, um, and it's not. It's not something that is talked about enough in the history classes, down to regular conversation of knowing someone who did attend the HBCU. William Hooper Council is the founder of Alabama A&M, and he was a former slave. Mm. So to be a former slave and then be granted the opportunity to now start a university uh, is something that needs to be talked about more. And as for more of the stories on the creation of other HBCUs, but can you imagine being a slave um, and 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 being someone that years down the line now you're you're the president of an institution, so you were completely against all odds, and now you're leaving a legacy of people of allowing people to get an education years after years after that you you've already uh, passed, and so um, isn't that something though you know. Um, it I is something that. to be commended. It is, you said, imagine being a slave. And if you looked at me, I shook my head. No, yeah. um, thanks to people like him. The truth is I cannot imagine what that yeah. would have been like. And I'm grateful that I cannot imagine what that would be like, but I'm mm-hmm. also grateful that persons like him had the wherewithal to know that generations from then needed to have access, needed to have opportunity. And they they implanted that um, mm-hmm. um, at a time when impossible might be the best word to use for them to implant it. So mm-hmm. I, I do love that when you think about HBCU legacy, black excellence is what comes. And you you are in your own way, Colin, defining what black excellence is. And I appreciate that. Finish this sentence for me in 10 years. I will. In 10 years, I will be. I usually get five, 10. 
He's buying time, guys. He's buying time. <laughs> In 10 years, I will be helping, leading, and a voice for people who might not know the right direction to go. I think that's In very 10 real. years, I will be helping, leading, and a voice for people who might not have the right direction of where to go. That's powerful. That's powerful. I, I, I do. I do believe that. Um, just as we talked about earlier, just with the seven one three day and giving back to um, the community in general, as you can see, that's very dear to my heart. Um, a lot of the lessons and everything that I've learned. Um, I cannot take with me. And so I want to be able to give that back to other people. I think I married a wonderful woman who allows me to see that from another perspective in a completely different, uh, on a completely different continent. Okay. And so with that, I want to be able to, uh, a part of her heart is helping people in Kenya. And now that we've become one, that's now become a part of my heart as well. So she's expanded that mindset of mine because I was thinking in the U.S. And now it's something that we could do um, internationally. And so that's just a small testament of, of something that I would like to do. It's Lorna, right? Lauren. Lauren, my sincere apologies. Lauren is going to listen to this and watch this and beam with pride at how many times her husband spotlighted her and how many times her husband spoke so lovingly of her. Um, so Lauren, you must be an amazing human being and I am grateful that you and Colin have found each other. Um, as we wrap up, Colin, can you leave our audience with a parting word or short phrase on why you love either your HBCU or HBCUs in general? Let's hear it. The word I would say, um, I was, I had that wonderful opportunity of always being exposed to HBCUs um, since a young child. Um, I encourage the people listening who might not have had that exposure or who may not know what that exposure looks like to connect with somebody who is at an HBCU, whether that be a, a cousin or a distant kind of friend, just to kind of see to embrace um, the culture of that specific tool. They're all culturally rich, um, but once you're, once you're engulfed in a in a HBCU culture that um, you're able to get your hands on, it's 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 nothing like it, um, especially with the color of our skin and seeing the people uh, on that university or campus um, that will be having the fun or the the many deep uh, discussions and real life um, application to things and being relatable um, to a lot of situations. Um, I think you, you would miss some of those um, experiences going to a predominantly white institution. But 
this, this, you know, this experience is what you make it. The experience is what you make it. Is is I would encourage everybody to just try. Uh, if you have not already, uh, a lot of people attending HBCUs might be listening to this, and they can kind of testify to that. So Absolutely. For the people, so for the people who have not been exposed to it, just just try it. It 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 it, it helped me, and it was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. So I would be selfish not to share that with anyone watching or listening that, um, and I'm not ashamed that, uh, I love it. Alabama I love it. So cultural, <laughs> culturally rich. That's what you love. Culturally rich. And you're imploring everybody to experience it. Mm-hmm. Colin. Cause it's almost un- undescribable. Yes. You know, because everybody's experience is different. Absolutely. It all gets to the same common goal. I love so. it. I love it. Colin. We could talk for at least three more hours. That is very clear. But I want to thank you for being my guest on this episode. And I thank anyone who is watching and listening. Thank you for tuning in to I Love My HBCU Question Mark. I have enjoyed talking to Colin Malone from Alabama A&M University. And I hope, go Bulldogs, there you go. I hope you have also enjoyed watching and listening to us and that we have earned the pleasure of you subscribing and loving this episode. Yours an HBCU love. See you next episode. You've been listening to I Love My HBCU Question Mark. Let's keep the conversation going as we share our stories and encourage more practical support of HBCUs whilst, of course, holding each other accountable. Don't forget to follow and subscribe for the latest episodes. Until next time, love and lift your HBCU.